everyone, it's Sandy Cruz from Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. And I'm here to show you that balanced living works. This is especially for all you ladies over 40. We will cover a range of exciting topics with many special guests and I really look forward to this season. Bye for now. Hi everyone, welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. Today for the very last episode of my summer reboot series, I am bringing back to you my episode with Dr. Elizabeth Yurth, all about osteoarthritis. It was another one of my super popular episodes. Dr. Yurth is a wealth of information. I did record another podcast with her, if you want to check that one out, on what is cellular medicine and how that's different from functional medicine. If you want to check that one out, it's called Physicians, General, Functional, and Cellular Physicians, which one is right for you. It's episode 92. Now, a couple of announcements. I just got back from Sedona, Arizona. Yeah, I actually took my daughter and one of my good girlfriends and her daughter came. It was the four of us. It was incredible. I might have to do something about Sedona. I feel like I'm a spokesperson for Sedona because I've been there twice now and each time was very different and each time really left me with something lasting in terms of my spiritual growth. And I think everybody goes there for a reason. Whatever your reason is, I'm sure you know, it would be different than mine. I did actually post on it on Instagram. If you want to check that out, by the way, go follow me on Instagram at Sandy K Nutrition. I also have a private Facebook group. It's called Sandy K Nutrition Health and Lifestyle Queen Podcast. You have to answer a few questions to be allowed in. I might have to change that. Anyway, I also have a Facebook page, Sandy K Nutrition. I'm also on YouTube. Search Sandy K Nutrition. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. I'm kind of everywhere, you guys. I have been a little bit overwhelmed with requests to be on my show. I am actually booked to November, but you know, definitely send me an email if you have a great guest idea. I am always open to suggestions. I am booking into November, December to record now. I have some incredible guests coming, you guys. And I decided I am going to open my new season. And I find it kind of weird when people go season one, season two. And I haven't done that. I just kind of let the numbers go because sometimes when you go and say, okay, now I'm starting season two, it'll be episode one. You can't really tell if that's episode one ever and you have to kind of scroll down on Apple Podcasts. So I'm just going to keep letting it go. How about that? So it will be a new season in September. However, it'll be continuing with whatever episode one 28 or 130, whatever it is. So I am going to open the new season with Freddie Kimmel. 
He is the host of the Beautifully Broken podcast. This was a live interview at the Biohacking Congress. That was in Boston, and I got to meet Freddie, and I also interviewed John Baxter, and I had some great connections while I was there, which leads me to the Biohacking Congress in October. That is happening, I think it's October 22nd and 23rd in Miami, and I'm going to be there again. I'm going to be part of their media group. I'm going to do a couple of interviews and again, reconnect with some of the people I met in Boston, as well as meet new faces. I love to meet people in person. So definitely check that out, biohackingcongress.com and get your tickets for that, for sure. I'd love to meet you in person. Last announcement, if you could share any of my podcasts with someone who you feel will benefit, please do so. It really helps me to spread the word on how we can age better, heal better, choose wellness options that are really not mainstream and that are talked about just through alternative means like podcasts like myself talk about. I don't know if that was even really good English, but whatever. You get my drift. Definitely review my podcast. I think you can review on Spotify now too. So review my podcast with a few kind words on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. I am there. And now I am going to cut on through to this interview with Dr. Elizabeth Yurth, all about osteoarthritis. And definitely look out for my new episodes starting next week. Bye for now. Have a great week. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have Dr. Elizabeth Yurth. She is the head of the Boulder Longevity Institute, and her background is in orthopedics. And I was so excited to connect with her because I really want to talk about a topic that is not talked about even close to enough, and it touches so many people that I know, and that is the topic of arthritis. So welcome, Dr. Yurth. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Thanks, Sandy. I I really appreciate you asking me on, especially allowing me to talk about, this is actually my favorite topic to talk about, because, you know, as I mentioned to you, I think that it's funny in this in this longevity world that you and I are in, and we are all into our Instagram and podcast and all the people out there, and you see everybody talking about you know metabolic health and brain health and hormone health and you know your your cardiovascular system and the gut, and that's obviously all hugely important. But then if you look at the number one thing that debilitates people at a fairly young age, we're talking about sometimes even people in their thirties. It's arthritic changes. It's arthritic. It's their neck pain and their back pain and their knee pain and their hip pain. And I'm sure you guys all have, you know, friends who uh, I can't go hike that mountain. I can't go do that because my knees hurt too much or or your back hurts too much. And I think it's been such a, you know, a topic that has sort of been left to, okay, well, you know, we'll just leave that to the orthopedic doctors. And it needs to be encompassed in this discussion in the anti-aging regenerative world because it's a disease process. It's not just a wear and tear. So I love that you're actually addressing this because I don't get to talk about this enough. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, you hear about all of these 
I guess, miracle cures to do uh, to cure this disease and that disease. But you know, arthritis is one of those things that never seems to go away, does it? I mean, this is I mean, why. exactly right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, my, my background for your listeners is in orthopedics and in, and I was um, really started getting into this world of regenerative medicine about 17 years ago when it was sort of, you know, not, not as, as prevalent as it is now, but it was really because I would have these people come in and, you know, they'd hurt their shoulder and we would kind of get it better, but they would never really get better. And then they, something else would fall apart. And really I would just watch these kind of downhill spirals in people, you know, they'd come in with one thing and then there would be another thing and really nothing ever got completely better. Right. So I really started to explore, well, how does, you know, nutrition and, and lifestyle and hormones all affect our ability to heal joints. And, and there was so little out about that in the orthopedic world, right? Because we're not about taking care of the body. Right. In fact, in fact one of my old partners said, you know, he said, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing because we don't, we don't practice medicine here. We do orthopedics. Uh, you know, and oh. I said, yeah, you know, so, so that's kind of the way it's thought of. It's not even like medicine and orthopedics were two different separate entities in a sense. And so I, I, as I, as I tried to learn this, I realized I needed to go back and retrain. And so I went and, and got a whole nother fellowship training in regenerative medicine and NIAG medicine, and, and then tried to encompass, tried to teach my patients. Okay, listen, let's look at your hormones. Cause actually, you know, your low testosterone may be affecting your joint health or your low progesterone. And so, and then it realized that you couldn't really do that in 15 minutes. And so we opened Boulder Longevity Institute 17 years ago. And, um, and I actually kept them as two separate practices for 17 years. And right. then really until February, you know, I would, I would see patients and do the basic orthopedic thing. And I'd say, Hey, if you really want to get healthy, maybe come see me here as well. Um, so I kind of tried to balance both ends. And then in February, realized that that was just not working. This practice was much more my passion. I felt like I needed, I was treating, I would see people and not even tell them all the things I felt would help them because I didn't have time. Right. And so we, we, we brought all the orthopedic patients kind of over here now and, you know, are treating them more as whole bodies and whole people, not just a knee, which is just considerably more efficacious in treating people. Oh my gosh. I love that. Dr. Yerth, what you just said, because I'm all about the whole body, you know, like a lot of times, obviously not with yourself, but a lot of times they look at us like in silos in allopathic medicine. And I I think that's missing the mark. I mean, it's exactly right. I mean, every disease process fits together. And I often uh, talk about that, that really there's not any disease of aging that is not a disease of aging, meaning aging is the ultimate disease, right? Yeah. And that starts at an early age. It's not, you, people always think about aging. Okay, well, it's the 50, 60, 70 year olds. Really, aging starts in our 20s. So these, these disease processes all coincide and they all are failures of systems that do, that are starting to get worse, you know, as, as time goes on. And some of that has a genetic basis, right? So some people, it's going to have a genetic basis that, that, contributes and there's always a lifestyle basis and there's always what happens just to our hormones and, and, you know, nutrients as we age. But I think where, where arthritis, you know, we haven't really looked at it as, as these other diseases. In fact, you know, we haven't looked at it as a disease at all, right? We've looked at it as a wear and tear process that occurs because like, you know, you were a football player and so you got beat up. And so of course you're going to have arthritis. Well, I can tell you not every football player has arthritis, right? 
why is not every football player arthritis? I was a very competitive skier, high level skier. I've torn my ACLs. I had them repaired on each knee twice. And then the third time I didn't even repair them. I just said, screw this. This isn't working. Yeah. And I have horrible arthritis in my knees. Now, now, why did I tear my ACLs three times, right? That's not normal. But nobody really looked at it as that's not normal. That, you know, <laughs> why did you keep tearing your knees? Right. Why do you, you know, why, you know, something else is wrong as opposed to, oh, well, that was bad luck. Let's fix it again. So, you know, now my understanding, you know, is, well, yes, there's no way it was going to get better, you know, when it didn't get better the first time, the second time wasn't going to work. So we're kind of looking at this all wrong. We're looking at this as a process of wear and tear. It's not a wear and tear process. It is a disease entity, probably with some underlying genetics that are playing a role. So there's, we know there's now there's these kind of gene clusters that are, are, are related to this wear and tear arthritis, so this osteoarthritis, and that we need to actually intervene early on people who are injured because that sort of probably starts the cascade. But we also need to start treating the disease and not the knee. So okay. that's going to be where we need to focus. Okay. So a couple of questions. So you're saying it's not wear and tear? Nope. Because here's the thing. If you if you were to say, okay, we, we know that you, <laughs> you have a specialty in um, as an orthopedic uh, medicine physician, but you also have the unique qualifications of uh, you're certified with A4M, correct? Correct. So that's the uh, anti-aging. It is like the, uh, the, maybe you can explain what A4M is, but it is the most well-known uh, anti-aging organization, at least in North America, for sure. Maybe the world? So it's, you know, at least at that point in time, 17 years ago, it was, I think there's other entities now kind of coming into play, but um, American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine offered a fellowship program. So a full training program that you went through for a few years with, you know, exams you had to pass at the end to get a fellowship training in this. So to kind of say, okay, you know, not everybody can just go do this kind of medicine. Um, now there's other entity, entities, I think, that you know are, are have gotten involved in the realm. So I think there's other ways to get this kind of fellowship training. But the key is to to make you know that not to just be able to say oh, I'm an expert in this, but to to, to say I've, I've I've gone through two years of training or three years of training. I've you know um, now I have fellowships in epigenetic medicine and and right. and and cellular medicine. And so there's all these different ways to get this training, but I think we need to have these programs that sort of say, Hey, yes, you have been vetted. You have gone through this education. You've actually, you know, done the training, you've taken the exams, you've shown, you've shown that you've actually made an effort in this. I think the problem is this field's getting a little flooded with everybody under the sun becoming an expert and, you know, and, and, um, and, and, you know, not to say there aren't some great experts out there who have just learned from their own reading, but, I do think we also need to keep it under some kind of control. So now, you know, there's there's Institute for Functional Medicine. I think there's uh, Seed Scientific Research and Performance, yep. SSRP offering a fellowship. There's lots of ways to get this training. But I do think you need to have you need to have some organization. So yeah, so that's where my background kind of oh. comes from. And I think as has progressed from there in terms of you know some of the I, I think. Some of the other, like now as we're looking at cellular medicine is more important. I think the cellular medicine fellowship that, that Dr. Seeds has been offering has been kind of critical to me as well. Okay. So then back to that whole arthritis. Arthritis mm-hmm. is um, more of an aging issue. Maybe. Well, let's, so let's not think of it that way. Okay. Bit, right. Okay. So, so I think it's, you could think of it as an aging issue just the way you would think about 
cardiometabolic disease is an aging issue, but and it's is not that wear true? and tear, it right? Starts it's, right. It starts young, and it's and so what we now know is if you have arthritis, you also have a higher incidence of dementia. You have a higher incidence of cancer. Cancer. Why is that? Right. So we know these all come down to a dysfunction at the cellular level. And it's sort of probably largely based on little things that happen to you, why maybe your brain gets more affected than your knees or, you know, or your heart. There's probably genetics that play a role there. So what happens is, let's say you're 16 and you tear your anterior cruciate ligament. If now you have, for instance, little alterations in your genetics, so you're not perfect and most of us aren't, right? What should happen if you were perfect when you tore that ACL or tore your meniscus at 16 or your husband who was an ex-football player, you know, had this multiple little injuries yeah. is your body comes in, it creates this little inflammatory reaction, yep. starts this process, and then you actually start getting repair. Now, if that goes awry, meaning the inflammation sticks around too long, it doesn't go checked, right? Or the repair process doesn't happen appropriately, then those two events are going to start the process of degradation of the cartilage and ultimately arthritis. That started at 16, right? That didn't start at 50, start when you tore your ACL at 16. In fact, we know that even if you repair the ACL on a 16-year-old, if you don't intervene, which most people don't, right, with doing things that they have a 90% chance, even though they repair the ACL, they have a 90% chance of having arthritis by the time they're 50. Right. Even though we think, oh, we've restored the mechanics, everything's great. Right. right. It's not. We right. started a process in that person at a very young age. I think the same thing's true. Right. I, I, it's why we're trying to encourage people, you know, in their 20s to start getting into you know, health and nutrition because it's not a disease. These are disease processes that are starting when we're young. And, and again, if everything, if you had the perfect genetics, if everything was designed perfectly, it's just who has that. So, so. We now know there's upregulation of certain inflammatory cytokines in people who go on to develop arthritis. And we know there's disruptions in the ability to do repair things. So we have to start addressing both those things at very young ages. So if you have, in my 16-year-olds who come to me with ACL tears, we don't just repair their ACL. We actually throw a whole lot of stuff in the mix. So we make sure that they don't overdo inflammation and that we can actually help them to actually repair. So, you know, so if we start looking at arthritis now as a disruption with too much inflammation and not enough on the repair side, then we should be throwing things to reduce the inflammatory process and upregulate the repair process. Okay, right? yes, that totally makes sense. So if you're upregulating the repair process, what other things would you throw into that? What are, is that where peptides come in? That's where that things like peptides and, and so, so let's take in the perfect scenario of you, you come to me um, with your arthritic knee. So you, your story is you were a football player and you, you know, tore your meniscus and, you know, when you were 20 and, yeah, and they did surgery on it and you were fine. You played some more football and, you know, then you had another little injury and now you're 50 and your knee has pretty significant arthritis in it. Right. And you're, your surgeon told them, you know, we, we, we can we'll put steroids in it um, and we'll just keep doing that until you need it replaced. 
because that's going to be the ultimate course, right? So that's, that's all what they, they have do to here. offer. Is that like cortisone shots, right? So cortisone shots, yeah. right? So so cortisone. What does cortisone do? Well, it's an anti-inflammatory. It's working on several mechanisms within the inflammatory cascade. Maybe not the ones that are all that useful for stopping the inflammation that's necessary to stop the progressive arthritis process. It's all these inflammatory cytokines. So if you have, for instance, rheumatoid arthritis, we know very well that rheumatoid arthritis, so people who have rheumatoid arthritis, so if your knee wears out and people say, oh, it's rheumatoid arthritis, they're going to give you what we call biologics. They're going to do things that reduce some inflammatory cytokines like tumor necrosis factor alpha and interleukin-6. The same process is likely going on in osteoarthritis. It's probably just not tumor necrosis factor alpha and interleukin-6. It's probably some other inflammatory cytokines that aren't addressed by those same biologics. But we've kind of ignored that. We've treated the, osteo- the osteoarthritis people as just wear and tear as opposed to saying, hey, this is inflammatory process just like rheumatoid. It's just a different one, right? So you come to me with this osteoarthritis. They're going to say, let's throw steroids in it. So steroids are going to blunt all the inflammation, but they're also going to blunt the healing Cited things that, that uh, things that are upregulated to help help heal cartilage. So what we've done is we've temporarily helped you. You feel a little bit better. We've gotten the swelling out, but we've halted any ability your body has to start any repair. So now we do that again and again, and then we replace your knee, right? Yes. And, that, and we know that knee replacements. If you re- replace a knee in somebody in their fifties their likelihood of ever getting back to the same activity they level had they had even before even with their arthritic knee is about 20%. So 80% of people never go back to the activity levels that they were at before. So we know it's not a very effective procedure especially in young people. Does that I think change? in older, older yeah. people sometimes you can get them back to their levels of activity but in younger people it, not. Right. So, you know, it's not a good idea. Plus, if I replace in that knee I've also ignored the fact that there's a reason your knee got that way in the first place. And that same process is going on everywhere else, meaning your spine, your shoulders, your other knee, and your brain, your heart, your gut. So we know that we're really ignoring that whole piece. So I take my 50-year-old, I replace their knee, and now literally a year later, their other knee starts to go. Yes. Right. Now we do the yeah. exact same thing. And then, so you've seen this and then, and then, and then now the their shoulder. hip is bad. And yeah, then and the shoulder yes, is bad. Right. Yes. Yes. The you know, and there was like, oh, well, but that's just, you just, because you beat yourself all playing football. No, it's not. Is now every time I've taken you and done surgery on you, I've actually aggravated the whole process because when you do surgery on somebody, you're really causing inflammation. So now you're getting yes. dramatic inflammation and they already can't heal. So now every other joint is affected as well as the brain. So, so we're really not doing a service to these people by doing that. So what would we do instead? Yeah. So you're going to come to me and the first thing I'm going to do is say, listen, we need to look, if we kind of start the basics and you're 50 years old. You know, what, so if you're a woman and you're 50 years old, likely you may have still estrogen on board, but, but the two most anti-inflammatory hormones for joints are testosterone and progesterone, right? You likely have almost no testosterone or progesterone at the age of 50. If you're a man at the age of 50, you need both of those as well. Right. And they likely don't have very much because most men by the age of 30 are starting to lose hormones. So now I've taken away any hormones that are going to help to repair cartilage and reduce inflammation. So first thing we want to do simply is look systemically. Let's give you back some of the hormones that are going to help you heal. 
Okay. So let's let's look at that and let's see if those need to be treated. Because if I if I don't treat that piece, which is innate to healing, then I'm you know everything else I'm doing, which is much more expensive and much more uh, invasive potentially. I, I've ignored the basics. It's always start with the basics, right? You know, start with some basics. You know this. I mean, basic nutrients that yes. are going to help them, and and basic hormones are going to help them. Let's get those simple basic things. You know, now it's not going to cure your knee arthritis. No, but it's going to help me now have the body in a homeostatic state where what I'm going to do is actually going to work. All right. So now I need to address why did you get there in the first place? So we know very well that people who have osteoarthritis do have abnormal levels of certain growth factors. They have abnormal levels of, um, of certain inflammatory cytokines, something called interleukin-1 beta is high in these people. And they have higher levels of some degrading enzymes in their joints. So there's these, these what are called Adam S um, and metallomatrix protein 3. So there's these degradative enzymes. They have much higher levels in the joint. So if, unless I get rid of those, then I'm probably anything I do to try and repair it's not going to work very well. Okay. So we're going to do things to try and get levels of these degradative enzymes down. And one of our favorite treatments for that is a drug that's actually approved in Australia for treating osteoarthritis. And it's actually their go-to and they've reduced their knee replacement surgeries by almost 90% by using a drug called pentacin polysulfate. So we can get that. You guys probably can get it too because it's actually an oral drug available for bladder inflammation. So it's called Elmeron for bladder inflammation, inflammation, but it doesn't work on joints when it's done orally. So if it's done as a subcutaneous injection, mm. just like we do our peptides yeah. twice a week, for six weeks, you see dramatic improvement in the symptomatology of the arthritic joint. And if they have multiple joint arthritis, we're going to treat everything at once. So six weeks, you do it twice a week for six weeks. And then we kind of find a baseline level to sort of keep things maintenance. Now I've, I've bound off all these degradative enzymes. So pentacin has an effect to actually start repairing the cartilage, gets rid of the degrading enzymes. So it's actually working on a whole lot of different places. So we can get them in now a really good state where I've gotten rid of these degradative enzymes. And now what I have to do is try and, and I've gotten some degree of repair but now I've got to try and say, okay, now what can I throw into the mix to actually see if I can get this cartilage to improve? Right. Like, right? so you said that's the pentacin is something that you do to help repair the cult cart cartilage. But what if there's none the left? What if you know? there's none left? Right. right. What do so, you do then? You, even if somebody who has no cartilage left, lots of times you can get rid of pain. Yeah. Because what we know is these these degradative enzymes are creating they're, they're creating an increase in something called nerve growth factor, which is related to some of the pain of osteoarthritis and back pain. In fact, some of the newer drugs coming out for osteoarthritis are what we call nerve growth factor inhibitors. So we know that 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 you can actually get rid of pain in even a joint that doesn't have any cartilage. Now, how far can you get with that? And some people pretty, pretty sometimes all that's all we do. But let's say you're like, okay, yeah, I'm better, but I'm, I'm not great. Then we're going to say, okay, let's focus now on that joint itself. So what are we going to do there? And that's where some of the options um, of thinking about platelets, stem cells, things like right. that. But one of our favorite go-tos at that stage is to do a peptide called AOD9064, which oh, stands for anti-obesity I had my husband drug. on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so AOD, 
it, um, if you do it as a, so as a peptide, it's designed as an anti-obesity drug, right? So it's actually, it's, it was, it was in mice found, it was a cure for obesity because in mice, AOD actually, if you gave mice AOD, they could not get fat. You could overfeed them all you want and they wouldn't get fat. So when AOD was discovered, people were like, oh my God, we have the cure for obesity. Problem is it didn't work so well in humans. Right. It works, it works in some, um, you have to dose it pretty high, but we, you know, I do see some efficacy for, of AOD, which for your listeners stands for anti-obesity drug. Um, I do see it efficacious for fat loss in some people that's done, done subcutaneously, but done intra-articularly. It's a fragment of growth factor. It actually has a very dramatic stem cell like effect inside the joint. And so what you do is you use an, this AOD injected intra-articularly combined with some hyaluronic acid, which is basically what's in joint fluid. Right. And that's going to kind of nourish new cartilage. And what you're going to do is create a stem cell-like effect directly in the joint. You're going to have this, this joint fluid that's going to kind of nourish these new cells. And in rabbit studies, they completely regenerated cartilage. Um, that's amazing. Mean, completely trashed cartilage, completely regenerated it. Wow. In, in the humans, in our early in our early trials of it, it's it's we don't have the long term. Are we actually repairing cartilage? But we're seeing dramatic symptomatic improvement on people. Um, so in the initial studies that we did, the, the symptomatic improvement in people who had even severe grade four arthritis was marked. I mean, we had patients who you know literally couldn't walk to go back to running and playing tennis. So so by using AOD nine hundred six four, and usually you do it as a series of, of of you know three to five injections, so one a week. And the hyaluronic acid. Now I've started. I've got the pentacin on board, so I've yes. gotten rid of all the degrading stuff. Right, I've started a repair process there. I add the AODN to start regrowing new cartilage, and you can see very significant improvements. And then once you've kind of gotten there, you can sort of do a maintenance where you keep them on a little bit. Like I always do a little bit of pentacin, like once a month. I give myself an injection, but I don't need a lot. Yeah. And then sometimes people will come in and do a little touch up AOD with HA, they'll just do it like once every you know, three or four months, they'll come in and do a little touch-up of the AOD peptide. But it works extremely well. In fact, I think it works better than stem cells um, because it has a more direct stem cell-like effect inside the joint. Now, the other options are, because that's not available to everybody, are going back to kind of your platelets or stem cells. Now, the problem, so if I have somebody who has damaged cartilage and I take platelet-rich plasma, so that's where you basically take the blood, you spin out the platelet cells, and you create platelet-rich plasma, and it's just basically this kind of gold liquid, yep, and you I've inject that it. back into the joint, right? <laughs> yes. The, the problem is it's not going to stay particularly localized to that joint very well. So it does create, the way platelets work is they, they contain growth factors, so we, we bring in new growth factors to help heal cartilage, but it has a pretty brief effect. You get that for about 48 to 72 hours, you'll get this pretty dramatic influx of growth yes, factors. Yes. But some of that's going to depend on your own health too, right? Right. So if I take my unhealthy 70-year-old who's 70, and so maybe their growth factors are not so great anyway, and maybe their overall nutritional status isn't great, and you know, and I just do that to them, the efficacy is not going to be great. And it's where when people say, oh, platelets don't work. Platelets work, but only in somebody who is kind of the perfect person. So if I took a 20-year-old who's healthy and I put plates in, they probably would have a nice effect. So and we like a little bit better. And it's where the AOD is nice is because you're relying a little bit more on, um, you don't need to rely quite so much on your own platelet cells health. But what, what my favorite go-to for really these kind of bad osteoarthritis are to use what's called platelet fibrin, 
So we actually turn your platelets, we mix them with a little fibrin that we extract out of the red cells. And we turn it into like a jelly. Okay. And then using ultrasound guidance, you can kind of lay that jelly down as a scaffold kind of over the cartilage surface. And it creates sort of this binds, it creates a scaffold. You'll get growth factor release for a significantly longer period of time. So the results are much better, especially if you have an acute cartilage tear and you want to sort of patch it because you can lay it right over the tear. And then you can use things like stem cells um, or exosomes, which are taken from umbilical stem cells. Yes, I've heard Or AOD. And, and then lay that over the platelet fibrin and get really significant repair of cartilage doing that if you've corrected the person's overall reason they got there in the first place. Right. Now, if, if you do, isn't PRP better just for like tendons? I, I like PRP better for tendons yeah. and muscles and things like that. Yes. Just, that's what I did it for. I had um, chronic uh, Achilles Tendinitis. tendonitis. And yeah. I did it and I did it only once and it took about six months, but it worked. Yeah. It really and I worked. do think even like if there's a tor- tor- torn tendon, I still like to lay a platelet fibrin over it because you're going to get longer time. I use platelet-rich plasma primarily when I'm trying to do like people who just have chronic muscle things. I'll use platelet-rich plasma. If I'm trying to repair a tendon or a cartilage. I like I like the fibrin because I can get it to stay around a longer period of time. Right. But again, you know, you're healthy. You eat right. You take care of yourself. Your results with platelets are going to be better than most people who are 50, right? And then that's the downsize. You know, we're dealing with people who, who in general, you know, aren't perfect. And so, you know, I'm, I'm relying on your own growth factors when I'm using your own platelets. And that's yes. where using umbilical still platelets, things, you know, exosomes, things like that can be really, you know, really helpful for people. Um, right. and, but, but sometimes inaccessible. So, so we use, a, we do a lot of platelet rich plasma. We do a lot of platelet fibrin, but I'm going to really emphasize to your listeners that to do that in lieu of making yourself healthy first, your outcomes are not going to be what you want. It's just not. Yeah. I, you know, I say that all the time. It's like, you've got to get the foundations down before you start throwing in a bunch of peptides and all this stuff. No, you're exactly right. People, you know, people get all gigged out on this cool stuff, which is thousands and thousands of dollars Yes, and and, and really a a few nutrients and hormones significantly cheaper and is going to go a much, much longer way. We, we, we just put together this whole course, um, if, if your listeners go to our Human Optimization Academy uh, and sign up there right into July, it's, it's free. But we put together a whole course that's going to be airing on that called What to Fix First for that very reason. Because I got literally so tired of people coming in on $20,000 worth of peptides and things, and they hadn't really fixed the basic stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of a walk you through, hey, fix this and then this and then this, and then you can go to this. But here's the basics of how you get yourself healthy. Because yeah, you know, I mean, you're a nutritionist. You, you you know if all the peptides in the world aren't going to fix the fact that you eat like crap, you know. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree, and I say that all the time. Now, when here's a question for you: What about if you never had an injury? What about if you don't have that, but you're starting to get constant <clears throat> sore hands and you feel it in one knuckle, or like, what is that about? So. That's all indicative, again, of this whole some type of inflammatory process going on. Yeah. And, and so we know that that's not a sign to just take lightly, that there is some inflammation. It's interesting, like fingers, lots of times you'll see people with higher ferritin levels. So we know high ferritin levels are um, are a sign of low-grade inflammation, right? Right. And and so I lots of times when I see particularly like, you know, the these knuckles here uh, affected 
I'll sort of think mm, maybe they've got some high ferritin levels and we need to go kind of address what's going on in their immune system that's causing that process to go on. So looking back at some of the simple sort of markers that tell us things are going awry in the immune system. And there's some simple markers you can look at for that. For instance, your albumin levels. If your albumin levels are less than 4.6, that's a sign that there's something going a little awry in your immune function. If your neutrophil lymphocyte ratio, so if you start seeing that ratio of neutrophils to lymphocytes that you can just look at on a complete blood count, simple thing every doctor can do, you know, and you can just, they, doctors don't know this, but you can look at your, your neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio. The closer that is to one-to-one, the better your immune health is. And if, if we start seeing, wow, that ratio is now three-to-one, there's some low-grade immune dysfunction going on. Maybe ferritin levels are going up. Ferritin levels are very much associated with sort of unijoint arthritis, particularly in these two knuckles for some reason. So those are things to kind of look at. But you don't ever just say, hmm, I'm just all, all of a sudden getting old and I'm starting to get arthritis. That's not what's happening. But that's, what that's, that's what you hear. That's what you hear, Dr. In women, In women, remember yes. progesterone is a potent anti-inflammatory. Yes. Um, so small joint arthritis in women, lots of times it's a sign their progesterone levels aren't optimized. That's why you'll wake up stiffer is because your progesterone levels are low, you know, and then through the night until you'll wake up very stiff. Progesterone is a, people always think about progesterone for the uterus. It, there's a thousand receptors for progesterone and a lot of them are our joints. So lubrication of our joints depends on adequate progesterone. So if you're 50 or 35 even, right, because progesterone levels drop at 30, yeah, that's why it's harder to get pregnant down. after 30, Yeah, you know, then those low progesterone levels could be very much playing a role in some of this arthritis. And simply putting somebody on 100 milligrams of progesterone at night can have dramatic improvement in arthritis. I mean, honestly, especially when you see that just stiffness in the morning, that yep. kind of stuff. And, and, and so really you look, what I love is how you're looking at everything because optimizing hormones, well, I guess start with the lifestyle. Start right. with that, right? Like, what right. are you eating? Are you moving every day? Are you exercising? Are you um, eating whole real foods? Like, these are the foundations, right? Right. Then you and, can and sleep, circadian rhythm, right? Yes, a hundred percent. So, are those? I guess are those foundations really solid? And then you kind of go next level. Then, right? Then you start to test hormones, correct? Regular blood tests to right. see what's going right. on. Look there. at low grade. Look at the hormone levels. You know, which in most people, they're going to need, I mean, even my young, my 30-year-olds who come with arthritis, I'll, I'll lots of times put them on low progesterone, right? Um, and it makes a huge difference. So so balance out the hormones and, and, and you know, and, and make sure that I would say there's the testosterone levels in men. Again, arthritis in joints. We used to back in the old days inject testosterone into joints and it, it had benefit. I mean, testosterone is really helpful for joint health. It's also helpful for muscles and muscles are important for joints. Right. So, you know, actually, you know, people forget that muscles make what are called myokines. Myokines are an, a hormone that actually affects our bones and our joints. So if you don't have muscle, then you can't have healthy joints. So we have to get muscle back on, which is possible if your testosterone levels are got awful low. And there's no 50-year-old woman, uh, I won't say no, but almost no 50-year-old woman who has normal testosterone levels. And now anymore, almost no 50-year-old male who has normal testosterone or even 30-year-old male who has normal testosterone. So you've got to optimize that because I think you're, you're, you know, to, to try and just say, I'm going to, you know, throw anything into your joint when, when, I'm, when I'm dealing with somebody who's not in any kind of state of healing is, is it's a waste of your money. 
Right. No, I see that too. Now, do you look at, so do you just, do you look at those three hormones like testosterone, estrogen, progesterone? Do you look at well, DHEA? Cause that's like, is, cause that's like the mother hormone, right? Mm-hmm. So do you ever look at that? Yep. So we do. So we look at DHEA levels. Obviously we're looking at cortisol levels. We look at IGF levels. Remember IGF is your marker for growth hormone. Yes. So, you know, so it's hard to measure growth hormone because growth hormone fluctuates a lot, but Growth hormone tells your liver to produce insulin-like growth factor. And, and IGF levels, when they get very, very low, you're going to see an arthritis associated with that as well. So we know that higher IGF levels are important for joint health. So if we have somebody come in and their IGF levels are you know, under 100, we're going to try and do things to stimulate growth hormone as well. A lot of times that's peptides. I was just going to ask you, know, you. That's where the um, – but it's not straight HGH – or anything. So it's the secretagogues, right? It's the secretagogues, right. Yeah. We, what we prefer is, you know, because if you just give straight HGH, you're going to really upregulate yeah. IGF. What we want is a more homeostatic regulation. We want your body, remember, when you still have growth hormone in your pituitary, we just want to get it released again. Yes. So we're going to use your own body. So we use what are called growth hormone releasing hormones and growth hormone releasing peptides. The most common are what's called CJC and ipamorelin. Yep. And what that does is gets your own body back into a nice synchronous release of growth hormone. You, particularly at night, you want to release growth hormone at night because that's your restorative hormone. So you can do that and really help people to improve. That's going to improve muscle. It's going to improve bone and it's going to improve joint health along with everything else. So we look at IGF levels. We look at DHEA. We look at cortisol. We look at uh, estrogen progesterone, testosterone in males and females. We look at melatonin levels. And if we're doing a urine test, melatonin, you have to test as 24-hour urine, but but we'll look at melatonin levels to make sure that people are actually producing enough melatonin at night because that's an important anti-inflammatory. Yes. Um, in fact, one of the things we'll use in osteoarthritis is melatonin to treat it. Because- oh yeah, let's talk about this because I've been reading and hearing a lot about high dose, high dose- melatonin. <clears throat> Talk yeah. to me about that. Yeah. And particularly, so I have a lot of back pain patients. So there's a great study that came out looking at high dose melatonin for back pain. And what they found is that in, 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 and this is true for both degenerative joints and degenerative discs, which probably are sort of the same disease, is that there's high levels of something called interleukin 1 beta. Interleukin 1 beta activates something called NLRP3 inflammasome, which is a bad thing. Okay, NLRP3 okay. inflammasome damages the mitochondria. The mitochondria produce tons of reactive oxygen species. They kill more things and there's more and more damage. So if we block interleukin-1 beta, we can actually help stop that inflammatory cascade. So you can really help with pain, but also probably stop degradation. So this mouse study, they, they bred these mice for having very, very high levels of interleukin-1 beta. Okay. And then they literally stuck a pin in their disc. And within days, they degraded their disc down to nothing. So then they took that same mouse and they put them on high-dose melatonin, did the same thing, and they did saw no degradation of the disc. So we knew that this upregulation of interleukin-1 beta, if we could block it, we could stop the degradative process. So now take your person who has a little injury, right? Same thing yeah. happens. Upregulate interleukin-1 beta. Let's block that ASAP. Right. So the two things we know are really good blockers of interleukin-1-beta. So you have an acute injury, you want to block interleukin-1-beta quickly. Right. Because it's not a good thing. You don't want that high level of inflammation it creates. So you can use high-dose melatonin. And we're talking about, and some people gain up like 20 milligrams of melatonin. That's what I was going to um, ask you. It's When you say high-dose, what are we talking? I mean, it varies between people. I have people who are never going to tolerate 20 milligrams. I have people who, who tolerate it just fine. But usually I try and get them up to like 20 milligrams. 
of melatonin, at least for a period of time, to try and block that interleukin-1 beta right. so that they don't go into this destructive property. And that's and the in other the morning thing, though, right? Like that, it, it depends. So that really depends on what your circadian rhythm is. Okay. Um, and I usually will start with it at night. And some people are like, oh my God, I was awake all night long. So what we think about melatonin, melatonin is really interesting is it's probably metabolized very differently in different people. Yeah. And it may be some of the metabolites that are having some of the effect. And so some people, if you're metabolizing it more slowly, they do much better taking it in the morning. Yes. And then actually having having better luck with sleeping at night and getting more restorative at night. And it probably has to do with a slower metabolism of it versus a more rapid metabolism of it. Right. Um, so so I'll play with the dosing on it. I'll, you know, I'll see how they do on the evening dose. And they're like, oh my God, that's horrible. And then I'll start moving a little bit earlier, if, you know, and then maybe a little earlier, and a little earlier until I find the right, the right place for them. Um, the other thing that supplement that's super, super useful for blocking interleukin-1 beta is epigallocatechins or what's in green tea, EGCGs. And again, getting to relatively high doses, they have yeah. to get to like two grams, but EGCGs are really, really good for arthritis because they're actually blocking a lot of the inflammatory cytokines that we see elevated in osteoarthritis. They're also great for fat loss. They're great for muscle building. There's just nothing. They're anti-cancer. There's just nothing bad about them. So that's the other thing we'll use is using, you know, a gram twice a day of epigallocatechins on these people. So if you have an acute injury, you, you know, or your kid hurts their knee, you, you want to intervene then because if they, you know, if, if they upregulate all these inflammatory, this inflammatory cascade, they've started the arthritis process at 16, 20, right. you know, that now they're ending up with it 50. So we have to, in, we have to, you know, intervene at, at a young age. And, you know, so, so we, we get these, these kind of high level skiers here in Boulder and, and, you know, so I get these parents who call whose kid just, you know, hurt their knee skiing and, you know, they need surgery. They tore their ACL. We're going to fix the ACL, but we also need to say, let's make sure they're on all the right stuff. You know, so if, if they're willing, we'll do pentacin because that's going to help the healing process. Right. We'll get them epigallocatechins and we see the healing much more rapidly. And the hope is they're not going to end up with, you know, my knees. You know. Well, with the ECGC, do you is that injectable as well? So um, we just do it as an oral. Okay. But it's interesting you should say that because there's a, some, a slew of studies that have come out recently on at least animal models that intraarticular EGCG had dramatic benefits for arthritis. Oh, so we're actually working with hopefully with a company if we can if we can get it together to try that and we'll try it ourselves and you know see how it works. Really if we can do it as an injection into an injured joint, it may have really significant benefits. And you know and the studies are out there. Really you know we just need to get it compounded to make it into an interarticular form um, which shouldn't be that hard and then try it and find out what exactly the dosing is on it. But the studies are out there that support that it had has huge reparative benefits in, 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 in just injecting intraarticular. And there's even human studies that are kind of old out there using it intraarticularly. So, so we're kind of working on that right now. Cause I do think some of these things, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of this stuff is used like pentacin. We talked about pentacin is yeah. widely used in racehorses. I mean, it's been around forever for racehorses and they do it intraarticularly, um, not sub Q. They do it as an intraarticular injection for injured joints with dramatic improvement. So, you know, if it works in racehorses, it should work in us. Um, so we're also kind of looking at that as an intraarticular injection too. So I think there's, there's a lot of stuff on the horizon here, but I think the key is looking at arthritis again, rethinking it as, oh, it's just wear and tear and stick steroids until you replace it. 
I think if you start rethinking it as a disease and start intervening with it as a disease process, which means getting, you know, and we're going we're gonna to find more and more about the pathways that are bad, that have gone awry. But right now we know that pentacin addresses a lot of them. Um, it's addressing a lot of these degradative enzyme pathways that are upregulated. And that then using the things to sort of go back and repair the cartilage is going to be the, the, the approach. It's going to be kind of a multimodal approach of working on all these different pathways. So going back to kind of that cell level and working on the different pathways to sort of repair this and not thinking about it as, as, you know, sort of, Oh, this is your cartilage is just worn out. Cause you, you, you know, you, or even, you know, they, I hear this all the time too. People say, Oh, well, you're too fat. That's why your cartilage wore out. Probably the same process that's kind of going on with obesity Right. right. We know that obese people have very high levels of inflammatory cytokines. It's why some of them have such trouble losing weight. You have to get their inflammation under control before yes. they can lose weight. And is there osteoarthritis because they are fat and put too much weight on their joint? Probably it has to do with the same thing that's making them fat in the first place. So all these diseases overlap. Like I said, it's why if you have arthritis, your dementia risk is higher. Your cancer risk is higher because right. your inflammation is higher. Right. So we've got to start thinking about these disease processes as one entity and fixing it, fix the immune system, fix the inflammatory health, and then focus on the repair process. I honestly, Dr. Yurth, I don't know many orthopedic physicians that look at arthritis or orthopedic issues from such a multifaceted viewpoint. Right. I mean, is this what you do and obviously, you know, I, I know a lot about you. I've listened to you on other podcasts. So I, I know your gig. I know a lot about you. That's why I'm like, I need her to come on my podcast because not that many doctors are talking like you do from that viewpoint of right. multifaceted approach. So tell me, like, is this the wave of the future? Are people going to be able to find other physicians like yourself? Like, because you're not that easy to get a hold of either. You're a busy lady. Right. And, you know, and, I, and well, you know, we have we have patients all, all over the world. And I, yeah. you guys, you, you know, I welcome you to call my my peptide, peptide expert, Brian Graham, is also really well versed in a lot of this. And so, you know, we definitely love to do consults and give you guys directions. Sometimes people have to fly out here to, if they want to get procedures done, obviously. But I, I you're right. It's funny. We had a, a, a patient from New York who said, you know, I, I can find a good functional medicine doctor and I have a good orthopedic surgeon because I can't find somebody who does both of them. Yeah. And it is hard to find because unfortunately the training in orthopedics is so, you know, like I said, my partner who said, this isn't medicine, we're doing orthopedics. You know, that that's the problem is that when you're trained in orthopedics, you're trained in screws and bolts and, you know, and steroids and not, you know, and, and not in the, the body. And so, and so it's, it's why it's, I think the last bastion of people are not, at least they sort of think, well, the heart's in the body and, you know, the stomach's in the body. So maybe at least those docs are starting to open their mind a little bit. You know, these guys don't really think there's any connection between the shoulder and your gut. And there is, <laughs> you know, but, but it's right. very easy to think of those as distant entities and maybe a little, at least some of there's, you know, you're seeing cardiologists and GI docs all coming a little bit more on board, right? With, oh, maybe replacing butyrate is really helpful you're not seeing it in the orthopedic realm. And yet here's a disease that's completely debilitating people's lives yeah. and we're not treating it appropriately. I mean, in, in most countries now, you know, they've stopped allowing knee scopes after the age of 50 because they see what happens. It's still the bread and butter here. You come in with, you know, a, a degenerative cartilage tear at 50 and the doc's going to say, oh, well, let's just go in there and trim it up. Well, what have you just done? You've just actually markedly upregulated that whole inflammatory cascade. Right. You've 
upregulate all those degradative enzymes. And 90% of people who have a knee scope at the age of 50 are going to be headed to a knee replacement within five years. That's my husband so, right you know, there, yeah. and, and, Dr. Yerth. And, and it, was a, it was a dumb thing to do. It was a dumb thing to yeah. scope that knee. Instead, yeah. you've got to get the body back into good condition, heal, and then do other regenerative therapies to try and help the cartilage itself, which you can do once you get the body healthy. But there's so few people who are thinking that way. And I, you know, and, and I, I think it's going to be, unfortunately, I mean, orthopedics is the one field where <laughs> I, 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 you're doing the same thing as you were doing 30 years ago. There is, you know, very yes. little places where you are doing the exact, I mean, I would say medicine in general is a little bit that way, but it, it was funny. One of my old partners, ex-partners I just saw, he was giving a talk on, you know, novel approaches to arthritic hips and knees. He's my total joint surgeon. There's his novel approaches. There's a new screw. I mean, you know, got it. Yeah. It's not all that novel. The novel approach is to start understanding this as a disease entity and looking at how we mediate the cell pathways to change that disease entity. So we'll, we'll get there, but it's going to be people like you talking and educating the public because we're not going to educate the orthopedists about this very easily. I, I, I'm afraid. I, I talk about it only because I hear it so often in my age category. And and mm-hmm. people look at it, honestly, Dr. Yurt, they look at it like, oh, well, arthritis is starting to set in. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like kind of one of those, oh, well, until they can't walk. Until they can't walk. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, I know. and then it's like, okay, and I'm uh, 50 and I already need a hip replacement. Exactly. So. And that's, uh, that is the start of your down. I mean, honestly, the, nobody is going to end up well who has a hip replacement at 50 or a knee replacement at 50. It's not going to end up well, you know, unless you start, unless that's a wake up call to you that, oh, geez, there's a reason I needed a hip replacement at 50. I better change things. Because again, that same process is causing, it's going on in your brain, you know, and, and, so we, we, we have to sort of start teaching these people that, listen, that's your wake up call. Um, I have grade four arthritis in my knees. I, you know, like I said, I, you know, I had everything, you know, I should have, should not have done knee surgery after knee surgery on my knees, but I didn't know that, you know, 40 years ago. Right. Um, and, you know, and so, but my knees feel damn good because of the things I've done. So I'm keeping everything under control, even though I have really bad arthritis in my knees. And if you looked at me, like, oh my gosh, she needs knee replacements, but I have no pain, you know, because I'm. I've reduced all the inflammation. I've repaired some of the cartilage and I can do everything. You know, I work out hard. I, you know, I lift hard. I brace my knees because they have no ligaments, but other than that, I'm fine. So this is a, you know, it's, it, it, it's not a mechanical problem, you know? Yes. And, and I'm not going to say, you know, you, you said your father did really well with his knee replacement. You're 80 years old. Your knee is trash. I, I'm not going to say there's not people who, these are life-changing surgeries for hip and knee replacements. Yeah. I recommend that my, somebody come in and they've got end stage arthritis in their hip or their knee and they're, 80 years old, I'm going to say, yeah, I just replace your knee, honestly. But yes. at the same time, let's get your health better because that same knee problem is going on in other parts of your body. Yeah. I yeah. The, the one thing I guess you probably see in your practice is you'll if you do have elderly patients, it's very hard for them at yeah. 80 to change their complete lifestyle. Yeah. Habits, no, I know. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, so. it's like my dad, although my parents, they, they, they always have cooked at home. They always have eaten whole real foods. Right. They're not into the process. They're very old school that way. Right. So this, and my dad gets on his bike. He's always moving, always exercising. So there are definitely some things that they do that I would fully think is wonderful, but right. you know, I think that's probably the challenge. The biggest challenge right there is lifestyle 
and getting those foundations first because I find that a challenge in my own nutrition practice. Yeah, yeah. And even at 80, you know, and we do have some 80-year-olds in our practice who are, you know, late 70s and 80s who are really gigged out on doing all this. But you're right. I mean, my own parents who, you know, both died in the past six months, um, you know, they lived into their 90s. I mean, they were they were, they were were old, but, you know, there was tons of stuff I could have done to help them with along their way, but they weren't, you know, they weren't going to listen to that. You know, and they did. They ate well. They exercised. They did all yeah. that kind of basic stuff. But, you know, trying to get them to take a supplement was certainly, you know, I think I finally got to take a little bit of vitamin D, but yeah. Um, you know, but I, if you can compel these eight-year-olds, sometimes adding like hormones into the mix for them, like your dad, holy cow, it, it can dramatically change their difference. life. They start putting up muscle, right? They start yes. getting really hard to make muscle. And, you know, that's my other passion is honestly is muscle building and how markedly that changes people's lives. We're treating all these women with osteoporosis, with drugs that are horrible, you know, that are causing, you know, jaw necrosis and femur fractures. And, and the only way to actually get bone healthy again is to put on muscle because muscle is imperative. Again, these myokines that are produced are imperative to bone function. And we don't put any of them on, you know, good strength training. We tell them, oh yeah, do a little walking, which is great. You should walk, but you got to strength train too. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Oh my gosh. Like my life changed when I yeah. started lifting, lifting and weights, yeah. I have a personal trainer that I've been working with for over three years now. And uh, this finally, and I've actually just recently had bone density tests done because I don't have a thyroid and I'm mm-hmm. 51. And so I have some risks there for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. And my bone density is actually better than the average 51 year old who has a thyroid. Right. Right. So I think I, I owe a lot of that to lifting weights. I really exactly. do. But how many 70 year olds are lifting weights and 80 year olds are lifting weights, right? They, we don't get them to do it. We need to have them all. And if we do do it, they, they're not getting quite aggressive enough. You know, so we don't emphasize that enough. And that, that, that's so, as we, I mean, myokines are a new concept in, in, in hormone medicine, honestly. We didn't really know that the muscle, was an endocrine organ until a few years ago. And they're like, right. oh my God, the muscle affects the brain, the muscle affects the heart, the muscle affects the gut, the muscle affects our bone. And so you look at these 80-year-olds who are sarcopenic, have no muscle on them, and then we're trying to fix their heart and their bone. We have to actually fix the muscle first. And we don't ever prescribe weightlifting, you know, as the treatment for them. So we have to start focusing on that too as, as a piece of, of, of joint health. But I think it's never too young to start thinking about this stuff. And I never, I don't think it's never too old. Like if I look at my eight-year-old who has a joint replacement, I'm going to say, okay, let's, let's try and really get your hormones optimized because you're going to heal so much faster if yes. we have a little testosterone on board for you, you know? Um, and, 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 you know, I think what happens is people do get that, you know, oh, they're old and, you know, oh, I watched it with my parents. You get to a certain age where your doctor starts to not care anymore. They're yeah. like, you know, yeah, they're, they're not dead. They're fine. You know, and, if, and and instead, and nor do we think about hormones in our young people, right? We don't think that maybe that twenty-year-old who is depressed and you know and sitting at home playing video games, maybe his testosterone is low. We just don't even think about that. And and sometimes that can have dramatic life changes for these kids is to get their hormones in order too. So I think that we we've got to start thinking about health at a younger age, muscle building, nutrition. At a younger age, we're, you know, 
most of my office now is young, you know, so, so, so like all my staff now is in, you know, twenties and thirties. And so, um, and, and so we're kind of getting that population because their friends like start hearing them talk and hearing them, you know, hearing them what they're, what they're into. And so we're getting now those 20 year olds kind of starting to listen to this stuff. You know, you, the demographic of people who like, you know, you look at our demographics on our Instagram, right? Most of them are in that 50 year old age group, but we want to get those 20 year olds in and we want to get the 80 year olds in because both branches we can still do so much for. I you know? agree. And you know, it's interesting. I, I had an interview a while back with Phil Mikens. You probably know Phil Mikens. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the process of aging. And he said, you know, if you think about it, aging really begins when the thymus starts to shrink. Right. right? Which is puberty. So puberty. Right. Yes. <laughs> So exactly. that's when the whole process begins. Right. I know. And, and it, yeah, I know it, that's what's scary is that we really, I mean, we are at our best at puberty and after that it's downhill. Yes. So you've got to start doing things at a young age. And if you're going to prevent, if we're truly going to prevent arthritis, you know, then when we see these people at 16 and 18 who have an injury, we need to address what's going to happen at that stage. Yeah. Now, like I said, there's tons of stuff we can do like with your husband now, but let's start looking at these kids at a very different way. I mean, I want to get every kid who has to have, a, you know, has to have knee surgery into my office and say, listen, let's start this now because we're going to really save your life. You know, yeah. it doesn't happen. So here's a question for you. And this is something I, I really don't know about much, but Osgood, is it called Osgood? Slaughter, uh -huh. That is so common mm -hmm. with teenagers right. and younger when they start playing a lot of sports like what is right. that all about because so basically it's also known as jumper's knee and so you'll see it in basketball players and things like that and you yeah. know all my kids were athletes and you know all of them ended up with this and yes um, and now i look at that with, with my understanding now i think hmm is there a reason my shitty knees and they all had this but in, basically it's the so the 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 kneecap has a patellar tendon that comes in kind of over and detaches into the tibia. And from the, when you're young, there's actually, you know, we have what are called growth plates. So there are areas where our bones grow. Yeah. And so it looks like the areas where the bones aren't quite attached. So it's a growth plate where that tendon attaches. So that constant pulling on the growth plate, the growth plate kind of pulls away from the bone a little bit. So you'll, what you'll see is this sort of the, the patellar tendon where it's attached to the tibia sort of pulled up with a little fragment of bone that's pulled away. It almost looks like it's fractured away, but it's really where the growth plate is just pulled away. Yeah. So you, you have them lay off for a while. And what happens is that kind of seals back down and they, and they end up fine, you know, but what may be going on is why, you know, why is that tendon bone interface being stressed, right? Okay, some of that's mechanical, right? But why does it happen to every kid, right? Exactly. So I think what, what we're going to see is that we know, and one of the places, like for instance, where Pentacin works really well is on bone tendon interfaces. So if we look at one some of the, the places that Pentacin's working, like on some of these metallomatrix protein three, I bet we would find that these kids who are getting Osgood slaughter probably do have higher levels of some of these damaging enzymes oh. that made that bone tendon interface not as hardy so that they're getting these injuries. So should we be actually thinking about them that way? And, and we haven't that much, you know, we said, cause we put them at rest and they end up fine. Exactly. But, but are they ending up fine or, or are these the same kids? I don't think anybody's looked and said, Hmm, does the same kid maybe tear their ACL? And then, you know, right. Is um, it a future injury? Is it, is it a future? Waiting. Right thing because ultimately, you know, why did they get that injury in the first place? Is it just mechanical? I, I think probably nothing short of you broke your leg, you know, you fractured your leg, you know, falling off mountain, you know, those are mechanical injuries, right? But probably these stress overuse injuries, you know, 
there's more to the story there. You know, is there dysregulation at the hormone? Is there something else we should be addressing in these kids who are getting that? And I, and I even, and, and I'll plead myself guilty on that one. I haven't, you know, I see Osgood Schlatter all the time and, you know, I'm like, oh, rest it, they'll be fine. You know, probably we should be looking at this in a little bit more aggressive fashion. Yeah, you know, I always wonder that. that. Yeah, I always wonder that just because you hear about it so often. Yeah, super and, common, yeah. You know, with athletic kids, it's like, why is this happening? And is yeah. this a future injury waiting to happen when yeah. they get older? Yeah, so. yeah. I have to kind of look into if anybody's done any research on them because yeah. it is an interesting concept. Is there is there something that you could look at in these kids that would say, oh, there is some other piece we should be addressing in them? I'm sure you get this all the time with um, five kids. You probably get this where they're like, oh, my God, mom, stop looking at everything that's because I get that. I get that from mine. I do. They're like, mom, stop. Just stop, mom. Like, so I guess at some point I do have to just kind of lay off, but I'm always like, hmm, why is that happening? Um, anyway, I guess we they're, should. They're just more tired of me. Like, you know, you like anything they have wrong. I'm like, just take more vitamin D. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> How much vitamin D did you take today? That's always like, yeah, my, my question. My, my youngest got a cold which you know and and, and and i'm like jason take vitamin d you'll be fine he's like you know <laughs> they're like at some point they're like can't you just like feel sorry for us i'm like no yeah give me a hug mom <laughs> no, i'm like i'll give just, you a hug after you take more, your vitamin d more thymus and alpha and more vitamin <laughs> yeah, d didn't take your vitamin go. d obviously oh, before we close off because we're uh coming close to the end i do have to ask you a question a couple of questions and hopefully this isn't going to be too extensive, but BPC-157 mm-hmm. and thymus and alpha-1 and thymus and beta-4. Those mm-hmm. are three big peptides. Correct. And do you use those in, in your practice? And do they make sense for people who have issues with specific joint? Or is it more just, I know the BPC is great for gastric, mm-hmm. but it's good for the whole body, Correct. And it's, and it's really good for, in fact, you know, we use it for injuries. That's one of our go-tos, either post-surgery or injuries are BPC and thymus and beta-4. Okay. Because they're very reparative right. peptides. So thymus and beta-4 and BPC repair collagen. Um, and so if you have an injury, yes, definitely. We'll, we go heavy on those post-injury. We'll go okay. pre-high dose. We'll use high dose post-surgery on, on, on BPC and thymus and beta-4. Thymus alpha-1 is more an immune modulator. Yeah, So a you little less about... for injury. That one's, you know, so that one can be helpful as well if we're looking at this more as an inflammatory process. Right. I, mean, so I sort of think thymus and alpha-1 is sort of our regimen on, you know, it's, it's always on board with things simply because the immune system is imperative to everything, right? Yes. If, you, if you think about we start aging at puberty, we place the thymic peptides, that's going to be a piece. And thymus and alpha-1 is in very high levels when, when we have a thymus and not so much when we get to be our age. Right. So, 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 but we will, if somebody comes into me with an injury, I will hit them hard. Like my husband just tore his distal biceps and had to have surgery on it. And, you know, so I, I hit him hard with BPC and thymus and beta post the surgery. We're hitting him hard on that because we're drilling, you know, and penicillin and, you know, um, because those are repair peptides. So yeah, I think they should definitely be used. Uh, you know, are they great as just baseline health? Yeah, but not everybody can really afford them as just baseline health. Uh, so I will go hot and heavy on those for injuries. And, and that's going to be my mainstay of use for them and okay. for gut. Okay, that's good to know. Now, one last question. Do you think there will ever be a cure for arthritis? <laughs> I do. In fact, you I, 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 I want to hear that. I think it's going to be, 
like a lot of diseases like Alzheimer's, um, I think it's going to be multimodal. I don't think it's going to be, oh, here is the one answer. I think it's going to be a conglomerate of two or three sort of probably, probably, um, you know, kind of modulating pathway modulators. But I, I, and I think it's going to be relatively soon. I, I, honestly, I think we'll probably have a pretty good, I think we're getting closer and closer to an understanding. I, I think the key is <laughs> there's a lot of money in joint replacement. There's a lot, of, you know, and we're fighting a little bit of that, right? That, yeah. you, you know, the now, it, it, because I guess if you come up with the perfect drug, then that's, that's good money. But what if it's something more simple? Mm, you know, then that might not be quite as financially advantageous for people to research. And I think it's going to be using a conglomerate of a couple of things that are working on several different pathways that have gone awry, both in the inflammatory pathway and in the restorative or, re, you know, uh, the regenerative pathways. So I think, I think we're getting more and more down to a couple of things that, that we can really target. And I think with two or three, uh, drugs, supplements, we'll be able to target these pathways. And I'll bet you within the next five years, we'll have a pretty good That's really good answer. to know. That's very, uh, very positive. Um, now you're out of Boulder, but tell us, you know, where people can find you, how people can get in touch for a consult, all of that. So if you guys just go to boulderlongevity.com, uh, you can actually sign up there and you can put in your information and somebody will contact you or you can call the phone numbers there. So just go to boulderlongevity.com. While you're there, we are really, so Human Optimization Academy, one of my passions is because I don't think you guys are going to be able to rely on your doctors to, to really, you know, get all this research to you and stuff. And, and then, and so, you know, people like Sandy, it's, it's all great, but we're trying to actually I don't know, make a scientific place where you guys can go and, and know this research is out there. So I spend hours reading and trying to filter through research and human optimization is where we try and bring this kind of new research and get it to you guys. So it's sort of, it's our medical school for the lay person in a sense, where we're trying to bring the newest and latest in the scientific research realm to you guys to understand how do you take control of your health? How do you stop this disease process? How do you become your, you know, your provider? Because you know, as most of you guys know, who, you know, probably listen to Sandy and the podcast that we listen to and the, is, is, you know, the, the doctors aren't quite getting there no. <laughs> and, you know, no. and, and you're going to have to kind of take it, take it a little bit to yourself to learn it. And so we're trying to actually, if you guys go to human optimization Academy and sign up there until July, we're in beta testing. It's free. It'll, there'll be a charge after that. But um, so if your listeners do that, it's it's a place where we're trying to vet a lot of information, get it to you in a scientific fashion. We'll be putting on courses there like this what to fix first course where we're trying to walk you through. Okay, here's, you know, don't just, you don't have to take 10,000 peptides. I, I love peptides, but, you know, you, it's not your first, go. you don't have to be spending $20,000 on peptides to get healthy necessarily. They might be the next step, but not right now. Yeah. So we're trying to help people kind of walk through take all this information that's out there, walk it through in a simple fashion, the scientific. So if you guys go there, if you go to Boda Longevity or um, the um, BLI.academy, you can sign up for it and, and encourage you guys to do that before July. So go there. If you want to consult with myself, um, Brian, who is our peptide specialist, he's one of the world experts in peptides and he's amazing for those of you who really are interested in sort of a peptide realm, you can get a consult with us um, and, and just, sign up there and somebody will contact you and get you information. That's amazing. Thank you so much for all Thank that you. you do, Dr. Yurth. I think that you are just a wealth of information and I love your, your approach. Your approach is not just, let's just change that knee out. 
<laughs> Let's look at the whole body. It is a beautiful thing to see. And I really hope that more orthopedic physicians catch on to what you're doing, really. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And let me talk about this because like I told you, it's kind of my passion. Yeah. It's a neglected topic in our field. I think arthritis gets put into it. Ah, it's wear and tear. It's not it's boring. Let's talk about the gut. And and this is still something that's so, so important to people's longevity is being able to walk. Agree. <laughs> yeah. Agree. Agree. I couldn't agree so, more. It's so important. Thank you again, Dr. Yeri. Thank you. Thanks for getting the message out there, Sandy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Join me next week where I cover off more exciting topics. I hope to continue to engage you and excite you and show you that living in your 40s, 50s, and beyond can be exciting, balanced, and helpful. Bye for now.